Welcome to the Plexus Podcast. Today, Brad Johnson and J.P. Novin are joined by Dr. Jacqueline Fetro, President of Albright College. Welcome to the Plexus Podcast Series, and today we have President Jackie Fetro from Albright College. Jackie, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I am very pleased to be here, Brad. Well, excellent. Well, let's start by talking a, a little bit about your background. Um, you know, let's talk about why education, um, why Albright, and maybe a good place to start would be who are the mentors that you had growing up that really kind of formed and shaped you? Uh, that's a great question. I think mentoring is, is, is so very important. I think probably the first one, and this is going to sound weird, but you asked the question, why education? I, the first one would be my mom. My mom was a, a Millie Fetro, a, a kindergarten and first grade teacher, and she had a love of teaching and she instilled that love of teaching and the importance of an education into all of her children, including me. I think the second one, I, it's really weird how life comes full circle. I graduated from Albright College a long time ago. And I think the second mentor who was really important in my life was a professor I had at Albright College named Frida Texter. She was my academic advisor. She was my research advisor. I tutored for her classes. I was a, a, a lab assistant in her classes. She took me to my first scientific con uh, conference and she always supported me through my life and career. And then finally, the third one for sure was my thesis advisor, George Rose. I went to the Penn State College of Medicine to earn my PhD. And George Rose was an amazing uh, PI, my thesis advisor. And again, somebody who's provided me with advice and guidance and, okay, Jackie, get back on track uh, throughout my life when I may have needed it. <sighs> well, and so are you still, I, I know that you have experience, um, obviously as a professor of chemistry and, and as a faculty member, are you teaching today or is it more administrative side? Yeah, at the moment, that's a, that's a great question because it's it you 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 touch a passion of mine. I love to teach. I have always loved to teach. At the moment, I am not teaching formal classes. Many people in my life will tell tell me that I am teaching every day because it's kind of the way that I I do leadership. It's a it's a collaborative teaching style, but I am not formally teaching. I hope to teach again in a classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. I, I, so talk to me a little bit about your day-to-day. -day. I mean, what does that look like? You know, how often are you engaging with students versus meeting with the board or fundraising or, you know, something, something else? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. And quite honestly, Brad, it depends upon the day. The, <laughs> the, the, you know, some days, some days are, are, are full, like we just got through our fall board meeting. And so last week, it was a lot of time spent on board materials, interacting with the chair of the board and with other board members. Other times, I'm interacting a lot with my cabinet, my senior leadership team, and other members of the college, including the faculty. Such folks are important uh, to be kind of with you, pulling all in the same direction. And I think working with them and making sure that 
they know who I am and that we're working together and I engage them in the work that we're doing is really important. Mm -hmm. And then often, and I try to get time to do this most every day, though not every day, I, I, I try to interact with students. Albright College in Reading, Pennsylvania, small liberal arts college. We are about the community. We are about that face-to-face -face community. And students lo love to see their president walking around campus, greeting them, attending their events. They invite me to events. I got invited to a sorority rockathon just the other day. Um, so so there's, there's a good bit of interaction with students. I think one of the things that I, definitely do is, so I started, when I started as president, I formed the President Student Advisory Council, a group of about 25 student leaders on campus, and I very much enjoy interacting with them on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a lot of competition out there, <laughs> especially in Pennsylvania. Um, so how does Albright compete in such a saturated market? It's a, it's a superb question. And yes, you were right. There are 93 independent colleges in Pennsylvania. That's a pretty, that is a pretty saturated market. I think that the key is that we do a couple of things. We focus on understanding both what Albright does best. And we call, we call our, what we do best our niche, educating students of academic promise. And then also understanding the crowded marketplace in which we compete and how we differentiate and distinguish ourselves in that marketplace. And then we focus like, you know, Jim Collins, he wrote his, in, 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 in his, his books, um, mm -hmm. focus building that momentum, focusing on what you do best and what makes you distinctive and don't try to be everything to everyone. So, so, so we have long focused on educating students of academic promise, students from the middle and the working classes and preparing them for success in life and careers. Well, I know that um, the US News and World Report um, has ranked you highly in a number of different categories, um, including being most ethnically and economically diverse institution. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, yeah, certainly, certainly. Albright is, is like in it, it aligns with what I said is what we do best and what we have always done best, educating America's middle and working class, providing an affordable, outstanding education for these students. And in today's world, those students are a very diver diverse population. Our incoming class was, um, 38% African-American, 38% Caucasian, and 19% Hispanic. Um, so, so, so it's a very diverse population. That is America's population at the college age. What we work really hard to do is to meet each student where they are. Not everybody needs the same platform, the same resources. Different students start at different places and need different resources in order to be successful in, in a college career. And what we aspire to do is to meet students where they are and give them the foundation to succeed uh, both, in, both in college and then in life and career. Well, and you, you have um, definitely uh, prominent online 
programs as well. You know, a large number of your, in particular, your graduate students um, are either taking fully online programs or hybrid. And I know the undergraduate population is also starting to increase in their numbers. Um, a couple of questions there. One, how, to, how do you impress upon that faith-based education to online learners? And then the second question to that would be, um, what is that growth strategy going forward as far as online learning? Yeah, so, so a couple of things to, 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 to know about Albright. Albright College is, is religiously affiliated but I wouldn't say we have a faith-based education. We are, we are a liberal arts college. We're affiliated with the Methodist church, but it's, there's no real other than a long-term historical affiliation. It is not, we, we do not offer, I mean, we have a department of religious studies, but it's not a faith-based education like at some other truly religious-based colleges. Um, the bulk of our, we offer two different schools. There is our school of, of our, our school of arts and sciences, which is our traditional residential liberal arts college. Students come and they stay for four or five years. Uh, they take our traditional program. They're generally traditional college age students. And then there's also the School of Professional Studies. And the School of Professional Studies offers both undergraduate and graduate degrees. And you're correct in the School of Professional Studies, as you said, Brad, is, is, is a lot of online and some hybrid courses because in today's world, the post-traditional student, online learning is what meets their needs the best. Mm -hmm. when, we do an, when we do online learning, however, we do it in a, in a very quality fashion because we know that part of our brand at Albright College is that community. So even when you're not face-to-face, -face, how do you build that community and that connection through the online and technical education? So all of our faculty who teach um, an online course go through a training to learn how to build their courses. So they're not just, we're not just putting videos online, but we're actually engaging the students in their education, engaging them with us, engaging with the college and with the faculty. In our traditional undergraduate program, the residential college, that one is much more face-to-face. -face. During the pandemic, yes, during the pandemic, when Governor Wolf sent us all home for half a semester, yes, we did flip to online education. And because of the ongoing pandemic conditions, we are still about 18% of our courses are still being offered online to give our students and our faculty that flexibility to meet their own needs. Um, but we are, we are fundamentally at, in, at the residential college, a residential face-to-face -face college. So there are, will continue to be probably a small number of hybrid courses, actually probably a number of hybrid courses, but our primary focus is in that college is a face-to-face is -face education. Yeah, and, and I can admit, yeah. The data, the data show that's how students are most successful. I'll just be honest with you. Very clear. Yeah, yeah. And and that that must have been an advantage too to be able to pivot and shift quickly during the pandemic. I mean, to have a, a strong online uh, ability from a technology standpoint, a training standpoint with faculty 
you know, to be able to already have that in place must have been a big advantage for the institution just to be able to pivot and move really at the speed that students expect. Yeah, it, I think for our, 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 res, our residential college faculty, it was a really hard transition because it was so abrupt. I mean, Governor Wolf sent us home and we were home for that entire half a semester, yeah. spring 2020. I think you are exactly right. We have a group of, of highly qualified technology folks who, who do all the training for, for online education. And they were able to shift their focus from the School of Professional Studies to the faculty in our residential college and work to support them in, 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 in creating and quickly pivoting their courses into the online mode. But make no mistake, I think the pandemic has been hard on all of us, particularly, particularly on our residential college faculty who honestly, they come to Albright because they love that face-to-face -face teaching. They didn't come to do the Zoom thing. They right. come to interact right. with the students and do the face-to-face -face teaching. Well, that's excellent. Well, let's talk a little bit about collaboration. I know, um, you know, when you hear about, um, I, I know when I ask the question around competition, oftentimes collaboration will, will mm -hmm. you know, come into play. Can you talk a little bit about how Albright um, interacts and works with businesses, you know, the local community. And then also maybe you can talk a little bit about alumni and how you keep them engaged. <laughs> well, those are, that's a pretty broad question, Brad. <laughs> yeah, I know that I, I, we're going to need to kind of unpack each of those because those are all kind of separate questions. <laughs> so, so, so starting with the, the first one that you said was a focus on, um, um, what was it you said? Well, you know, let's let's start with businesses. Okay. I think businesses might have been second, but that's it popped in my head first. So okay. the the business side, you know, how does the institution work with businesses today? Absolutely. That that's really important. You need to have the collaboration with businesses because it's those relationships that are going to help your students move into their first successful job. So we have what we call the ELCDC, the Experiential and um, uh, Career Learning Center. And so that is uh, one of the offices on our, on, on our campus where we develop very intentional relationships with chambers of commerce, with businesses in the broader region and even towards Philly, and we make sure that we are building the connections. We have businesses come on campus to do recruiting. We had just had accounting recruiting night last week. Um, we have businesses come on campus to meet our students. Our faculty also work with business folks in the classroom, bring them in as teachers or, or as speakers. So again, that students learn how to apply their classroom learning to the real world and to build that ever important network because it's yeah. the networks that help you move through success in, in your jobs. So, Well, and I'll tell you, you know, when you talk about network and relationships, you know, I'm always reminding my kids, you know, I, I always tell them, I say, you know, when you're at, you know, when you're, when you're in elementary school, middle school, high school, you're at, you know, a, a university or college, you'll, you'll have opportunities. Yep. Yep. You know, and those opportunities may not always be there. Yep. 
So take advantage of them when they're easier, you know, than missing out. So yeah, no, well, well said. Um, you, I, 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 what you said just resonated with me because life is really a journey. And, and there are gonna be people along the way who become part of your network. And then through that network at times that be, might be most surprising to you comes that, that opportunity to take a, to devere slightly or to move slightly and building that network is so crucial. Yeah, with, without a doubt. Um, and so when we look at, um, when we look at the job market, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this kind of ties into building, you know, uh, community and especially business relationships. So there's a lot of jobs that are going to be with us in the future that we don't even see today and maybe have a hard time even, you know, realizing what, what specific jobs will be there. How do you help train and make sure students are ready for a job market where jobs may not even exist today that will 10 years from now? I love that question, Brad, because it is truly what liberal arts colleges do so well, it is what Albright does so very well. And it's not a training, it's a true education. It's helping our students, not just to learn facts, because facts are cheap these days with our phones, facts are cheap. It's learning how to use those facts and learning how to learn throughout your life. So at Albright, our faculty are truly an amazing and outstanding faculty. And in developing our foundational program that all students take, they looked at a student's intellectual development to, to, to give them that exact foundation um, um, of, of learning how to learn, learning about the new job when it comes available, learning about the new technology so you can move up in your career. And, and our faculty call it, the, the stage is knowing the world, which is where you learn your facts in the foundations courses, engaging the world where we put the students into connections courses where they're actually looking at an, a problem across multiple disciplines. And those are courses taught by two faculty from two different disciplines. And then understanding the world and changing the world. And there we take students into the synthesis courses where students are then starting to ask their own questions questions that ne haven't necessarily been answered yet. And then they do their own research to answer that question. That is the, the, the general um, education that all students at Albright get in addition to whatever major they choose. But it is designed very specifically to do what you just said. How do you prepare students for the jobs that don't yet exist? You prepare them to learn to learn. And so we say, know the world, engage the world, understand the world, and change the world. So how do you make sure that uh, students are prepared for Albright College? And I, are, you, are you a test optional school? We are. You... We have long been a test optional school. Those SATs okay. are not, not equitable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd love to get your- We could have a whole conversation about that. Oh, my goodness. Well, and, and especially with the pandemic, um, you know, you saw a lot of institutions- move from you know standardized test score requirements mm -hmm. to test optional yep. and, and you know having that broader resume which 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 i believe in as well but maybe you could talk a little bit about that how do you make sure that a student from from high school or an adult learner is ready for albright college and and what gauges do you look at if it's not just 
standardized test scores, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a superb, it's a superb question. And, and, and we touched on this earlier and I'm, I'm happy to expand on it because it is something that Albright College is working to do and improve because it's so essential today. Students are coming in with very uneven preparation. Um, you know, the public schools, the charter schools, the private schools, so differently funded, so different resources, such different benefits and educational opportunities that the, the, the preparation that students get is very uneven. So, so what we are attempting to use is um, not just test scores. We take the test scores if the students provide us with test scores. But we look, at their, we look at their high school, we look at their GPA, we look at a number of data metrics, basically data analytics, Brad, to get a sense of, okay, what are the students doing that are, is going to, um, uh, what have they done? Where are they gonna be weak? Where are they gonna be strong? And then how do we help them to succeed? Kind of like, uh, you know, I think of that cartoon of, of, of three boys at a baseball game short, medium, and tall boy, and yeah. you could give one box to each of them, and the short kids still can't see over the fence, and the tall kid could have seen over the fence anyway, but what you do is you give the tall kid no box, the, the middle-sized kid one box, and the short kid two boxes. Give Help the students to take advantage of the resources that they need. I'll give you one example of that. Um, the, we've, we've recently professionalized our, our writing composition. Writing composition is that something where students come in very unevenly prepared. And at Albright, we, we require composition courses because writing is a core skill. And so we, we've professionalized our, our writing composition program with, with full-time and tenure-track faculty. And now we are working on what's called in, in the, the comp composition of rhetoric field, a directed self-placement. So that mm. students provide their writing um, and help to identify for themselves where they should be in their writing skills, where they should be placed in their writing skills to learn what they need. So developing programs like that, that both help us through data analytics and help the students realize where they need to be placed and where they need to build their skills. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, now, how about uh, first generation students? You know, can, you, can you talk a little bit about that? And the reason I bring that up is because, you know, with first generation students, sometimes, you know, sometimes I think it's difficult to determine where you should be, where you should go, yep. stay motivated in college. Yep. Can you talk a little bit about how um, Albright encourages first gens in particular? I, lo I love that question because a very high percentage of our students are first generation students. And and you point out exactly the right thing, Brad. They don't have that parent or grandparent or aunt or uncle who went to college who can say, you need to go do this now. <laughs> um, so <laughs> we have to, they don't even know the questions to ask. Mm -hmm. um, so it, here's a funny story that I, I heard from uh, Tony Jack. Anthony Jack wrote the book, um, uh, Privileged Poor. And he was a speaker on our campus in August. And he, he shared the story of, you know, all faculty put on their syllabus when their office hours are. And their office hours are meant to be, this is when you can visit me in my office, I'll be there for you. 
but there are a, a number of students who, who, who interpret office hours as that's when the faculty members in their office and you're not supposed to disturb them. So even defining something as simple as office hours is really, really important. So what we're doing, we, we provide a number of different offices. We try to give students multiple touch points. So they have their faculty advisor, they have their first year advisor in their first year seminar. We have the Office of Student Success where we give every student, every first year student, a, 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 a what we call an academic coach, a student success coach. 35% um, of our students are student athletes. So they also have their athletic coaches who team up with the, with the faculty and the student success coaches. So we try to give students multiple touch points and then we have an early alert system. So if somebody starts falling through the cracks, we attempt to catch them and put them um, in the right place. In addition, we are working to put together a program to invite Anthony Jack back to our campus to help us take our, I would say, take our game in that to the next level, to, to really make sure that we are providing um, the, the support to first-generation students as, as best as we can. Mm -hmm. And is, as far as that, that student service support, uh, how is it different to support a traditional student, on-campus student, versus an adult learner? That's, a, that's I like that question. You have to recognize that they have different needs. Mm -hmm. In some ways, it's the same, because both populations need to have their basic needs fulfilled. You know, and those basic needs, housing, food, security, um, they both have, the both groups have to have their basic needs fulfilled, but those needs can differ for the two generations and the way you provide the resource support is different. So, so at Albright, our School of Professional Studies focuses on the post-traditional student and they think really hard and that's why a lot of our, our, our programs there are online what are the needs of those students? How do we help them to succeed? On the traditional student side, again, it's the same question. What are the basic needs that our students have and how can we fulfill them? So we have the Lifting Up Lions Fund that supports student resource needs of all sorts. Um, we, 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 have a, we have a food bank. We have a couple of scholarships that meet emergency needs for students. It is really recognizing you have to, to, for students to be successful in college curriculum, they need to have their basic life needs met. So you need to look how you meet those and those, the ways of meeting those are different for the two populations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so how would you define student success? I know we've talked about a number of elements today, um, but is there anything in, in addition, just as far as generally speaking, student success, what would that mean to you? Student success, I think, is defined in three ways. So first, it's success in completing your college degree. The worst thing is for a student to start a college degree, earn debt, and then drop out. So yeah. success is completing that college degree and getting those credentials because the data is very, very clear. Your earning potential goes up. Your ability to pay your debt goes, improves. Everything improves once you complete that, that, that degree. The second is success in career. And that is often measured as socioeconomic success. So how do you think about that? Well, at Albright, we think about 
we think about success, we from multiple places, we want students to be successful, we say in life and career. So that means both socioeconomic success and happiness in their career and happiness in their life. So how do we help them achieve that? Um, part of it, I think, is our strong liberal arts education that uh, we've talked about this, helps students to learn to learn. Mm -hmm. And US News and World Report has a ranking on socioeconomic mobility. So they look at your graduates 15 years out and they say, how well do your students go from where they are to improve in their socioeconomic status. And we are ranked number 32 in the country across all national liberal arts colleges for socioeconomic mobility. So we do well on helping students be prepared for that career and that economic success. Mm -hmm. Second piece is then is happiness. The data show, <laughs> the data show that, that, that students in, in, in college who do, who do two or more what are called high impact practices. So higher impact, high impact practices are these co-curricular, very mentor-based programs like study abroad, like independent research with a faculty member, like a first year seminar where, where, it's, where it's focused and the student is really working to build the relationship and their own skills. Um, and we are working to ensure that every student at Albright gets um, two or more high impact practices before they graduate. I don't know that we'll ever be able to measure the happiness of our, of our, of our graduates like we can socioeconomic status, but giving them a foundation that's, that says nationally, this is, if we prepare them in this way, they student, the graduates tend to be happier in life. That's what we're attempting to do. So success at getting a college degree, success in career, success in life. I, I love all of that. I mean, I, I think that is so great. And, you know, you touched upon happiness, but how true is it to, to have that happiness, have that peace of mind, and then also have that ability to really go after your passion, mm -hmm. which I think is what Albright really brings to the table. Um, and you know what? Hey, liberal arts colleges are here to stay. Let's face it. You guys have been around since 1856, 165 years old. Um, obviously a beautiful campus. Now I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but behind you, what building is that? What's that red brick building? Is that the center of campus? Or? No, that, that actually, that building is actually science hall. Um, okay. And because, because I am tra trained as a scientist, I was a scientist all my life until I went into higher ed administration. Uh, it seemed appropriate that I had science hall uh, behind me. So. <laughs> so you spent a lot of time in the labs, is that right? Yes, I did. Okay, and do you miss that? I do. You you asked me earlier if I missed teaching, if I still taught, and I miss teaching more. But I also miss doing the research. So so I actually I I was trained as a as a what we call wet lab. So I did do test tubes and experiments. But my my path my my PhD and my career path took me into computational biology as a field. So I'm a computational scientist by training and the ability to, to analyze data, to, to, to really get into data, complex data and to answer questions about biology is still just completely fascinates me. Well, excellent. Well, Dr. Fetroy, it's been great to have you today. Thank you so much for your time. I very much appreciate being here, Brad, and I appreciate the opportunity to spend time with you and the invitation, so thank you. Of course, thank you so much.
We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information on Plexus, you can visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. That's P-L-E-X-U-S-S dot com forward slash solutions. Or you can email us at podcast at plexus.com.